0: out there it's time for another episode of star wars all in the show that goes all in on the people places characters and concepts from that galaxy far far away i am your fellow traveler mac with my co-pilot ross mac it's great to be
1: here and let me just say i'm very glad i don't have the responsibility of being the main pilot I'm glad I just have to, like, sit there secondary.
0: I'm really glad that we, we spent that extra money on the autopilot yes, so that it can actually fly us to point to point. It's yes. going to be one of those things where we're just going to set some switches, mm-hmm. and then we're going to pl- go play some hollow chests and assume the ship gets there on time. As we saw in the recent episode of Mandalorian, apparently the ship will fly itself even if you're asleep, and then it will warn you when it's about to smack into a planet,
1: which is nice. Basic safety systems, you know, in the Star Wars galaxy, they're not afraid of seatbelts. They're not afraid of shields. You know, they understand that you need to take some precautions to remain safe when in space.
0: Space is dangerous. Yeah. Space is dangerous. So we're going to be talking about some topics, but I want to preface, it's a little bit weird. We are in uh, the the beginnings of the seasons of giving here. Mm. Um, And so Ross and I are both starting to figure out trips and meetings and holes in our schedule. And so... This is the first episode where you'll see the artifacts of that, because we're going to do kind of our own topics, and then we're going to come together for one last topic. We are. So
1: we're going to start out today. The first topic you will hear will be uh, me talking by myself about the Legends character, the fallen Jedi Padawan Maris Brood, and we're going to talk about her dark journey that she goes through
0: on uh, Felucia. Yeah, because she's in Force Unleashed, right? That's right. That's where she originates from, yeah. And I'm going to be speaking to something that comes kind of from games as well, uh, broadly. And we're going to be talking about games because I'm going to be talking about gambling in Star Wars. We're going to talk a little tiny bit about Sabacc. I think that's got its own topic, but I'm going to talk about the more esoteric ones. I'm going to talk about Pazak, Jubilee Wheels, some of those sports you see in the background of the Outlander Cafe, stuff like that. Uh, we're just going to kind of meditate on that for a little bit. And then
1: finally, we'll come together at the end and Mac and I will talk about Quarins. That'll be our Mando topic for the week. So if you have not watched Chapter 11, The Heiress, mm-hmm. we highly, highly recommend, even though we won't spoil everything, we will be talking about Quarins because they do pop up in this episode a fair amount. So we'll be talking about Quarins as a species.
0: It's going to be a good one. We hope you enjoy
1: it. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. This episode will be a little bit different, but we want to make sure that we uh didn't miss an episode this week and we didn't we
0: didn't yay all right so enjoy the experiment right after this
1: Welcome back everyone to topic number one. Today we are going to be starting out with a Legends character... Maris Brood. Now, Maris uh, featured in the Force Unleashed video game released in 2008 for the PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and eventually later platforms as well. Now, I personally played it on the PlayStation 3. This is a game I played a lot. I did finish it completely, 100%. Uh, every achievement, so I definitely put probably about a hundred hours into it total over the course of about five years, give or take, and it's a game that I really grew to love. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to discuss Maris as a character today is she is one of the only characters in that game who has sort of her own story arc, for being not one of your main characters now if you're not familiar with the game the game centers around this hidden apprentice this secret apprentice of darth vader star killer star killer uh known as galen merrick as well was a very young son of a jedi who darth vader hunted down and killed during the purge and upon seeing his power vader took him as his own And so Starkiller's goal as he grew up was to help Vader hunt down the Jedi. And we first meet Maris in this game. But before we get there, let's discuss a brief bit of her history, because there's not a lot to it, but it is interesting. Maris went her initial Jedi training on a ship called the Grey Pilgrim. The Grey Pilgrim is a Jedi training center, essentially, in space, and on this ship, Maris learned all of her initial teachings of the Force. Now, her original master, who as far as I could tell did not ever get named in Legends. There was no other material, just basically that she had an original master on this ship. Now, if anybody remembers from this time period something different, I don't know, maybe something that was in the Star Wars databank. I went back and looked at old visual guides, and of course I, you know, did some Google searches, couldn't find a name, but if there is one out there and I'm just unaware, please feel free to let me know. Now, As we go through and we meet Maris, we learn that she originally, as I said, started her training on this Jedi ship, the Grey Pilgrim, and when Order 66 took place, this is where she was. So, on this ship, Maris basically felt the tremors in the Force that are all of her acquaintances, all of her peers and her masters and her mentors getting killed out there in space, you know, uh, from the Emperor and his actions. So... Maris' original master disappears as he goes to try and investigate what's happened, and Maris ends up basically trying to go out and seek revenge in the galaxy. And out there, she is intercepted by Jedi Master Shaak Ti. Now, Shaak Ti's interesting, because in canon even, she has sort of these different endings, because there are some deleted scenes for Revenge of the Sith where she's killed, and then, you know, we see her in different places, and all of these different things. It's kind of interesting, uh, her history, but that's not here what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about her Legends Apprentice. So, her and Maris are basically held up on Felucia, which, if you don't remember, is a planet that we see uh, in live action in Revenge of the Sith. It's basically a giant jungle world filled with all this beautiful giant flora and fauna and all of these beautiful colorful landscapes and by the time we get here in the force unleashed it's a completely different world the emperor has essentially turned dark uh Basically, the planet has been mined for resources, and the world has just fallen over to the control of the dark side, both literally and figuratively. So, creatures on this planet, beings, inhabitants of this planet, have all been corrupted by this sort of twist of fate that the planet has gone through. Now, Maris and Shakti are first seen in the game... When Starkiller arrives on the planet, they sense his energy, and Shock T sends her apprentice away to the, uh, as it's called, the Rancor Graveyard, and is basically told to hide there. Now, for the first moments, that's all we see of Maris because Shakti goes to fight Starkiller and he does defeat her. And basically, later on, there will be some more moments with Maris. But before we even get to that, let me tell you a little bit more about her. Well, first up, she's performed by Adrian Wilkinson. And you may have heard that name before because Adrian is the same performer who performs uh, the daughter in the Mortis arc of Star Wars The Clone Wars. And what's interesting, that wouldn't have been that much longer after this. So, uh, you know, if Clone Wars started in 2008, this game came out in 2008. Let's say she recorded the VO probably a year before or so. So she may have been working on the voice for the daughter not long after this game was released. She also voiced a character in the Old Republic, Gianna. Uh, Now that is a game I have not played, so I'm not very familiar with that character. But she has had a few roles in Star Wars as well as some other video games. Now, as we already said, she uh, basically apprentices to Shock T after her original master disappears, and Shock T sends her away to keep her safe. Well, later on in the game, Bail Organa, a character we know and love and uh, praise, came to Felucia to find Master Shock T to help him fight the Emperor to help him save Leia. Now. Unfortunately, he doesn't know this, but Shakti is already dead thanks to Starkiller, and Maris finds Bale and takes him prisoner. Well, (laughs) unfortunately, because Bale is taken prisoner, Starkiller, who has now flipped allegiances and is fighting with the rebels, comes to rescue Bale and ends up in a little bit of a scuffle with Maris Brood. So basically, they fight after Starkiller comes to rescue Bale. And it's kind of interesting, because as Starkiller approaches him, Bale goes, oh, she's gone insane. Uh, You know, you have to get me out of here. This girl is crazy. She's going to kill us. And as Starkiller sets Bale free, Maris sort of comes out of the mist, jumps down, and basically they begin their fight. So, you know, she's not really uh, crazy or insane as Bale kind of describes her, she's just being heavily influenced by the dark side, we come to find out. Now, the fight starts out by her using her powers to manipulate and sort of help control this, uh, as the game calls it, a bull rancor, basically a uh, sort of like higher level, larger rancor. And this rancor is really cool, it's sort of like this dark purplish-blue and has these kind of like protruding bones that make it a little bit scarier moves a little bit faster than you know the rancor we see in return of the jedi in java's palace so just a little bit more intimidating a little bit scarier and it's essentially the first part of this maris brood fight is with this rancor and then after you eventually defeat the rancor maris comes out herself to fight you now, Maris has some, invent- uh, some interesting powers. First off, she can sort of disguise herself with the Force, turning herself almost invisible. And it's a pretty interesting little power, because you, as you're fighting her in this game, have to be wary. She can just sort of show up behind you. And with that, she carries two sort of pinkish-red lightsabers that uh, you know are sort of shorter length, and she uses them in a, sim- in a similar style to what we'll see Ahsoka use years later. Now, she has these sabers, she has this ability to turn invisible, and she also has this sort of black-on-black, evil, dark side look that's pretty fun. So, let me see if I can describe it to you. It's sort of this black boots, black pants, and then she's got sort of like a crop top black uh covering on top. She's got sort of short black braided hair. Now she is a zabric, so she has some red horns protruding out of the top of her head. Um she also has these sort of like black lips and black circles around her eyes. I mean, you could definitely describe it as sort of like a makeup look, but you know, when you have all these different creatures of different uh species, right? That could just be sort of their natural appeal. Um their natural look, their natural appearance. And she's also got um, these sort of, like, red eyes. These sort of, like, scary eyes. Now... We don't know if she has gone full Sith or just turned over to the dark side in the game. She also has like the like these black circles kind of offsetting the red in her eyes as well. So it's an interesting design choice because it's not full Sith. She's not really meant to be a Sith at this point. She is just a character who is dealing with an attraction to the dark side. Now, after her fight with Starkiller, uh, she basically says, you know, it's not my fault. This planet, it, it's evil. It's corrupted me. Let me go, and I'll turn my back on the dark side. And basically, Starkiller, uh, you know, appeases her. He does let her go. And after she leaves, walks off into the mist, Bale goes, you know, you shouldn't have let her go free. She, uh, she reminds me of a Jedi I knew who fell to the dark side, and, you know, you, you should have just killed her. And Starkiller turns to Bale and goes, you really think she's free? She'll be haunted by the memories of what she's done here, by her interactions with the dark side. She won't be able to, you know, really escape that for a long time. And of course, here we know Starkiller's kind of speaking from experience, but he's basically giving her a chance to sort of turn her life around on her own, to sort of choose the right path. Uh, And I think that's kind of interesting, because Starkiller has had such a... How should I put this? A life that has been laid out before him. A life that he has no control over, thanks to Vader. And that's essentially what he's trying to do. He's trying to gain control over his own destiny. Do things that he feels is right, instead of what he's ordered. So when you have this character who essentially sees another Jedi, a person who has been corrupted by the dark side and the power of this planet and the evil of the Empire, and the evil of Order 66, and what the galaxy has become, it not only says a lot about Starkiller, but it says a lot about this Maris Brood character. Now, you know, maybe one day we'll get her back, or uh, who knows if there'll ever be Legends content again, somehow I really doubt it, but you never know. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice to get more to her story, but unfortunately, this is probably it. So let me just wrap up here with this character by uh, giving you a few of my own personal thoughts. First off, I think it makes a ton of sense to have when your main character, Starkiller, is struggling with this sort of pull to the dark side because that's how he was raised versus following actions that he knows are right versus what he knows are the right thing to do. It's nice to see him have this interaction with an apprentice who is sort of the opposite of him, was raised to be good, but is sort of feeling this pull towards the dark side because of this planet she's on, because of the environment she's in, because of the life she's lived. So you have this these characters who are sort of opposite of one another at their point in their lives and in their training, And he is able to influence her and help her and set her back on the path to good. And, you know, hopefully that sticks for Maris. Hopefully that is something that she is able to, you know, continue on for the rest of her story, however long that might be. So, a very interesting character. A character who uh, I really wish we would get some more of. There are some really great pieces of art out there, both official and fan-made. She uh, appears in the Force Unleashed novel, of course, as well. But beyond that, that's really about it. There isn't a whole lot of Maris Brood out there in Legends. Uh, A really, really fun character, a really cool design, uh, really well performed, and frankly, a really fun boss fight. So, If you've never had a chance to play The Force Unleashed, you absolutely can still find it out there very easily and uh, download and play that for yourself. It was on uh, a whole bunch of different consoles over the years, both handheld and, uh, you know, traditional. Um... And let's see, for Maris, I think that's about all I have to say. Uh, We don't get to do a ton of sort of strictly Legends characters on the show, so I thought we'd try that out today, do something a little different. So, if you like hearing me talk about Legends characters, let us know, because we have fun doing it. If you prefer canon, hey, that's fine too. We don't have any problem with that, so uh, please feel free to let us know. Star Wars All In on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you.
0: All right, hey, how's it going? So, for this segment, we're going to continue to be in Legends material. Um, Because, realistically, the topic I want to talk about is um, just a few highlights. Uh, This is not going to be an exhaustive topic by any measure. We're going to talk about some of the um, gambling games that you'll find out there in Star Wars. Um, Currently, in actual canon, the only real game that... Well, actually, two exist. There is Sabacc. And there is Pazak. So let's go into the first one. Um, Sabacc is probably due for its own topic, but in Legends, Sabacc is a card game um, that is tied directly back to a line from the movies. There's a part where Han Solo is tied to Lando, and he says, your ship? No, 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 I want it fair and square. And in the early days of Star Wars, people needed to know how did you win it? What did you win it over? A game of chance. What What was it? Um, and they decided to make it, um, a card game. So for the most part, uh, Sabacc is Star Wars analogy for poker. Um, it's all about collecting hands and, um, creating the strongest hand you can over the course of play, having betting rounds on each hand, and then at the end, revealing your cards and seeing who, who of the remaining bettors has the best hand. um, In canon, it's very obvious how big and important it is because it is literally how he gets the Millennium Falcon. We see that in the movie Solo. Um, But the strange thing about it is, from someone who's been following Sabacc since Legends, is Sabacc had a different mechanic to it in the way it was written before. In the sense of you couldn't play it with just normal physical cards. The cards themselves were... Usually, little little data chips that actually could change value over the course of the game. So certain cards would adjust, um, and it's based on what we see in our world's playing cards, which playing cards came from like divination tools and stuff. And you can trace, um, you know, the, the shared parentage of, you know, a classic Hoyle like bicycle deck and a, uh, you know, just basic playing cards, um, and. The uh, tarot cards that you can see, like a Rider White deck um, of tarot cards, because the idea is that you have normal valued cards in four suits, um, and then you would have um, higher face cards, um, and those face cards also in Sabak, are more like a tarot deck where there are some interesting ones that are fairly unique and don't tie to any suit, so like... Um, the idiot is an example because there's a common term in um, Star Wars that the actual strongest hand in sabacc is a, what's called a pure sabacc. And a pure sabacc can only be beaten by one hand that is a hand that loses to absolutely everything else except a pure sabacc, which is um, the idiot's array. And the idiot's array is sort of just a, a dump of, of no, cards you don't want with the idiot in your hand. Um, like I said, it loses it every time, and one of the things about it was the original way it was written in Legends was Han Solo had played to the Idiot's Array. It talks about him using the Interference Field. Now, an Interference Field in Old Sabacc was a way to lock a card in. It wouldn't be affected by the other cards in the game as long as it was in the Interference Field, but a player could only put so many cards in the Interference Field. Now, like I said, all of this is a little bit, um kind of silly when you look at where we are with Star Wars now, because a lot of people, like I said, were just writing stories and building upon it and having fun with the idea of, you know, okay, I've got a four of staves and a two of coins, and I've got, you know, the lady and the idiot, and just all these just kind of fun playing around with card game ideas. Um, When Solo had to become a real movie, they realized that as a prop, it's not going to be that interesting to watch people playing with these Cards that keep changing value and it's too hard to follow. So they just made them these now what we would call a sabak deck, which is a um, a Hexagonal shaped set of playing cards. They're sort of elongated and each of them have um, Values generally one to ten um, with an additional smattering of face cards um, And again, just like poker you're trying to build hands you do rounds of betting on that and um, again reveal your hands at the end Um, We saw in Solo, uh, he had basically hidden a a Cyborg into his wrist, which is how he was able to um, cheat and win in the first round of cards, and also how Han Solo gets him in the end of the second round of cards. Uh, And I think it makes Sabacc a little more playable. You can go to Galaxy's Edge, or even um, the recent Target um, Galaxy's Edge stuff, you could get um, either the Sabok shaped playing cards from, like, Target, which are just a standard set of traditional playing cards, um, you know, with your diamonds, your hearts, your spades, and your clubs, but they're all Star wars out, um, and they are all, um, you know, uh, they look spacey, and they're printed on those, again, elongated hexagonal cards. Uh, if you go to Galaxy's Edge, you can actually get a Sabacc deck that is accurate to the movie Solo, and it talks about different hands that you can create, and um, I think they call it, I think they might call it Carillion style, is what this type of Sabak with non-changeable values to cards. Now the reason um, I'm kind of fixate a little bit on the card value changing is because it is an important thing that informs the second, probably more fleshed out, or, or for a lot of people, more real game, um, that has been kicking around Star Wars for a long time with it, which is Pazak. Now, recently in... Um, I don't have the source in front of me, but recently, Pazak has come up in one of the novels, establishing that it is a thing in the world of Star Wars again. But Pazak uh, makes its uh, connections back to... It was an in-game um, minigame that you could play in the Knights of the Old Republic video games. So if you went to a casino or you were meeting up with people, you could play with them in pizak. Now, pizak, if sabak is to our world what poker is, Subak is to what our world blackjack or 21 is. Uh, the whole goal of pizak is to hit a certain number and your cards will either add to your current value, subtract from your current value, or... Um, They can do um, polarity shifts. They can go up and down. So what will happen in Pizoc as you play the game is you have your cards, and that card can be um, changed value over the course of the game. Again, similar to how Sabak was written, that it would be able to adjust the cards up and down. And then again, the whole goal of Sabak is to hit that target number um, as close as you can without going over. Um, And... A pure Pazak, just like pure Blackjack, is being able to hit that number right off the bat, just to be able to put it down and you already have maxed it out. And again, Pazak is around a lot and Pazak is, again, an analogy for um, Blackjack. Now, going into Legends, there's a whole bunch of other things. Now, the first thing that you're going to see is people's idea of what people would bet on. We know that there's some betting from the canons, such as like betting on pod races, because we see... Well, actually, Qui-Gon Jinn do that to save the boy and get him off tattooing. But we also know that there are other games and stuff. If you look at the beginning of Episode 2, Obi-Wan and Anakin enter the Outlander Club. um, And the Outlander Club is essentially a fairly ritzy um, gambling club. And you can see on the different monitors different things like, again, pod racing, uh, space races, um, graph ball, which is a more of a like uh, somewhere between um, football and American football. Um, And you can see that like there's all this just gambling parlor and it's something that's very common in the world of Star Wars. Obviously, the Republic doesn't regulate gambling that much or at least it doesn't seem to care much about it. The other things we know that are also going on in the world of Star Wars, especially in Legends, are a number of the games that have come down the pike will have gambling games for in-game just to have fun. Um, This tradition goes to the massively multiplayer online role-playing games. So, For instance, if you were to go and play um, uh, Star Wars Galaxy, you'd have the chance to play a game like Jubilee Wheel. Jubilee Wheel is you try to bet on a number, you spin the Jubilee wheel and you see where it lands, and depending on what parameters it hits on the wheel, you may lose everything, lose a little bit, gain a little bit, or gain everything. Um, it's essentially our analogy for roulette, um, except it's a little more colorful, a little more holographic, a little more Star Wars. Um, the Old Republic, massively multiplayer role-playing game, brought out uh, Lug Jack, and Lugjack is the analogy for uh, slots. So you have these spinning reels, and you're trying to stop the reels to have them line up to different sets of symbols. Uh, The thing that's interesting to me about Star Wars and all of the different analogies is it's kind of funny that when we meet Lando Calrissian, one of the first things that's kind of talked about with him is the fact that, again, he wins the Millennium Falcon. And it kind of gets to this idea that Lando is a gambler. He just naturally is inclined to play the odds and you know gamble and and over time that that has morphed and changed so like originally i would say back in the days of the dark ages before we really got into the current eu or especially not into canon Lando was a gambler professionally. Um, Like, we would have professional gamblers in old westerns. He'd just drift into town, beat everyone at the poker game, gather his winnings, and move on to the next town. Um, And that was reflected in some of the things that he did, such as, you know, his ship is the Lady Luck. Um, Because, again, it carries him with good fortune from Sabak table to sabacc table. Uh, But the thing that's evolved over time is that's not really what he does. He's He is a gambler, but he's also an entrepreneur in many, many ways. So his whole um, kind of thing is he is doing all kinds of business ventures. We see this really sp- displayed out in um, Rebels, where when we meet Lando in Rebels, he's constantly getting himself caught up into new kind of get-rich-quick schemes. Um, But when we think about Star Wars, he is sort of this this character that brings the idea of like, okay, well, if there's a gambler in Star Wars, what do they gamble on? What do they play? Uh, And like I said, that's how Sabacc came into being. And between the Outlander Cafe, or I'm sorry, Club, um, between pod racing on the Bunta Eve Classic, between uh, the Sabacc game in Solo... And we also see a lot of this stuff, I would argue, it's not canon, but I would say that the spinning gold discs you see in Canto Bight, I'm gonna guess, are sort of Jubilee wheels. And Canto Bight has a whole panery of different um, gambling games that we don't know exactly what they are. No one's tried to invent their stories, quote-unquote, yet. Um, But it is... I don't know. It's just a really interesting idea, and I think it makes Star Wars more of a place as we just sort of figure this stuff out. Now, one thing I want to just say that is a way that I interacted with these, and, and you can probably interact with them if you wish, is there are a number of people who've created um, facsimiles of this game. I already mentioned if you want to get Sabacc, there are physical cards you can get and you can actually play a real game um, and uh, play it just like kind of Solo the movie. There's also uh, Hasbro, uh, when Solo came out, had a game based on Sabacc, uh, which was kind of fun. Uh, It's not exactly trying to be Sabacc, but it's interesting in its own way. Um, Both that and the Galaxy's Edge Sabacc, I enjoy the fact they incorporate the dice, uh, you know, when um, Han Solo is whipping those gold dice around his uh, ships as he takes control of them. Those are Sabacc dice. Um, Now, Sabakas traditionally only needs one die, at least the way the rules are written in our world. Um, But you use that die, and again, that will change some values that will adjust the table. And it sort of represents the randomness that the old games would... talk about, or the old version of the game we talk about, which is more of, again, uh, more computerized. Um, If you want to play the more computerized version, kicking around on old Windows platforms are people who took all the bits and bobs out of, like, the original Han Solo and Lando stories and sort of melded them into some functional version of a game, which is how I got into Bach uh, probably in the mid to late 90s. Um, Pazak, so there are people that have made, um, absolute, um, copies of it. It's just basically extracting the minigame out of the Ninth Solar Republic games to allow you to play them. Um, and some of the other things that are out there is you can play things like hollow chess and it has been, I, Dejeric, which is hollow chess, has been assumed to be able to be gambled upon in different corridors, so that is out there as well. You can also get a Dejeric set uh, down at Galaxy's Edge if you ever go down there. Um, And Dejeric is almost like a a miniatures game in the sense that each of the pieces has some unique abilities, some unique statistics, so that certain matchups between elements of the hollow board are either more advantageous or less advantageous as you kind of march them across the board and have them fight. Um, so no, I, again, uh, just kind of a sort of off the top of my head meditation on games and star Wars. Uh, it's by no means to be exhaustive. Like, like I said, someday I'd really like to dig in, uh, when I'm back with Ross and do more of an in-depth conversation about Sabak, especially, uh, once I finally get him down, uh, and COVID is over and we can actually play some rounds of, uh, the three different versions of Sabak that I have. Um, so I hope you enjoy this a little bit. I hope I more whetted your appetite to go look at this stuff up. Cause again, I don't want to bore you with an entire like how to, uh, section about how these games are played in all their intricacies, but just going to tell you that like, it's a fun part of star Wars that makes it a real place that the games and stuff that we play in our world, there are star Wars versions of them that those people just like us, you know, play and have fun with. So Uh, That's it for me. So after this, we'll both be back to talk about a Metendo topic right after this.
1: Mac, we want to take a pause from the show here to talk about something that's very important and something we've talked about before. The fact that Star Wars needs to be a place for everybody. That means
0: that everybody needs to be welcome.
1: Yeah. And, you know, luckily you and I were uh, both uh, brought up in a way and have experienced life in a way that we feel pretty open uh, to all Mm -hmm. sorts of different people. But we definitely understand that there are a lot of people out there in different situations who maybe have some different opinions than us. And of course, there are times when differing opinions are perfectly great and valid. But when it comes to human rights, it's something that we believe should belong to every person. And so today, what we're here to talk to you briefly about is a fundraiser that has been started by some other members of the Star Wars community, and we just want to take a minute and amplify it a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, something we heard at the end of Last Jedi that Rose says is that we're going to win this war not by fighting what we hate, but by saving what we love. And Mm -hmm. what's great about fundraisers like this is we're trying to promote the positive things that this community can do for not just ourselves and Star Wars fans, but the world. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely, yes. And uh, it's fun to point out, too. Hey, that's also the Jedi's philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people forget about that. But anyway, this uh, fundraiser, which you can find on GoFundMe, and if you search, it is titled Trans Rights Are Human Rights. This is the way. Mm -hmm. And this is a fundraiser that's been going on for a little while now. They've raised over $11,000 at the time of recording this. Isn't that insane? $11,000.
0: It's exciting, but it's still can go further. Mm -hmm. And that's why we want to boost that voice and let you know about it so that you can support
1: it. Absolutely. So please feel free to seek this out. We are going to share the links on our Twitter uh, as well in the coming weeks uh, to go along with our different Mandalorian segments that we're going to be doing. But uh, we also just want to point out why does this exist, right? Well, where this money is going is to the Trans Law Center to Mm -hmm. help defend people who can't defend themselves against um, either physical attacks or discrimination right and so what we're trying to do here is just let you know that these things are very important to us Mm -hmm. and this is the kind of community that we will have here at star wars all in so let's just look at it
0: this way we're star wars all in for a reason because it's all in on star wars and everyone belongs and this is all about following the way, which is to accept everyone just the way they are and support people's fights to be the people that they are. That feels like prejudice. That doesn't feel good.
1: Well, it's very classic Star Wars, right? Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's the, it we've always heard the Mark Hamill to, like talking and, uh, about like
0: Jabba. I was like, ah, he's like Mule Head, and he's like t- like just pointing out things and just like when like, when Kenner was like, well, we got a lot of creatures to make for this Cantina scene. Um, just start. Uh, that's Hammerhead. And um, this is uh, Dr. Mandible. I don't know. Um. <laughs> uh,
1: it. I think it's all the same vein. Same thing. It same is. thing. And today we are going to be talking about those squid heads, or as you might know them, Quarins.
0: Quarins. Now, other we, aquatic species that established in Star Wars.
1: Yes, we've got a couple of them now. And it's fun mm. because who doesn't love uh, water
0: based planets and cities? It is a fascinating landscape, just because again, when you take the the Flash this that is Star Wars, where it's an ice planet, it's a forest moon, it's a water world. Like we're very good about making. There's only one terrain here, unless you're Kashik. Kashik gets a biosphere, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but like it is a fascinating thing to think about. Like what would a world be like that literally has no land at all? Yeah, and it's it's kind of fascinating yeah. to start processing that.
1: Yeah, and we've seen some water-based worlds in live-action Star Wars before, mm-hmm. we've also seen uh, some water worlds in Water War in the Clone Wars, when we actually get to see Mon Cala, the Quarren's homeworld. Yep. So we do have some experience with these creatures before. So, Mac, I thought that's where we'd start. And then we talk a little bit about uh, Quarren's in kind of modern context. So we first see a Quarren in Return of the Jedi as one of uh, presumably
0: Jabba's thugs. You know, that's kind of the idea. He's just one of those guys that's there. Yeah, he's he's part of the scene. The scene of the scene. A a lot of well, the fun thing about it is like with Jabba's palace, you can't tell like are they his henchmen? Are they associates? Mm -hmm. Are they like I assume they're his posse?
1: They're his His, posse. His entourage. Yes, yes, yes. yes, yes. He goes out for a nice uh, frappe, and they go with him, just to make him look cool. Uh, (laughs) You know, he scoots on over to Mos Pelgo for a snort of spotchka, and we We make sure that
0: uh, none of the uh, little people get to you, Jabba.
1: (laughs) That's right. So that's where we first see Quarrens. That's where they first... Come into our um, world of Star Wars, so
0: and what we been... see is we see this these creatures. So I'll describe like the first one, like yeah. basically they have these kind of arrow shaped heads, mm-hmm. roughly, um, which again is acknowledging what a squid looks like as far as that yeah. sort of like torpedo shaped head. It's a slight uh, amount of that. And then they have the mandibles, mm-hmm. the, the tanglicals coming out of their face, but they also have a mouth up in there. They do, yes. Um, and they also have fairly sunken but kind of yellowy bright eyes. Their whole pallor is kind of like a uh, an orange. They're much more orangey light skin, but in the same kind of tones we saw the moncals in, those kind mm-hmm. of like fishy earth tones. And yeah,
1: we've seen some other ones, like you said, orange and sort of tan and brown and stuff. We've also seen purple. So we've seen a few different um, colors, and I presume eventually we'll see more—a whole rainbow of of, of squid. Maybe it's based on their diet. Maybe they eat different things and they change different colors.
0: Well, you know, there are definitely species of squid that are like, and uh, that are essentially transparent. So, like, yeah, maybe like actually that guy just really likes tomato soup, and that's why he's orange.
1: I mean, you did see that squid soup they were eating. It wasn't that far off in shade. I do like that they just had a pump
0: for dumping that. Just to like, <laughs> let me grab the hose. I'm like uh, Yeah, it's sorry, the Taco sorry. Bell approach. There's a part of me going like, and why do we need a waiter? <laughs> <laughs> he just reached up and touched it. Um. So, uh, but one of the things I thought was interesting is they they start out with somewhat of a regal appearance because the One in Return of the Jedi has these like yeah. long flowing robes is what he's wearing, which now that it looks like ritzy but it definitely kind of says like oh well this is this is probably an intelligent species he doesn't say a lick of a dialogue. yeah we He's don't just hear anything. but he seems sophisticated in a way that you know this isn't like the the Gomorians. Mm-hmm. we can imagine are not sophisticated <laughs> creatures based on their attire definitely
1: get that vibe for sure um And unfortunately, yeah, as Mac points out, we never hear him speak or get any dialogue or really do a whole lot of anything. But luckily, The Clone Wars comes in with a whole arc all about Mm Quarrens. And we discussed uh, one of these episodes, the first episode. Um, This is all three of these are at the beginning of season four of The Clone Wars, if my memory is correct. Episodes one through three. Of that season, and in those episodes, if you remember us talking about this, the Mon Calamari and the Quarren are fighting over their homeworld. The Quarren have sided with the Separatists, the Mon Cala with the new rep- with the Republic. And so they have this complete battle trying to gain control of their homeworld. And that is where we learn, sort of in canon for the first time now, kind of reestablished, yeah. that the Quarren and the Moncalis sort of share this ancestral homeworld. Yeah.
0: Because in legends, that was always the case, that mm-hmm. they were this quarreling species mm-hmm. rivalry. Um, but the big thing it does is it, it reestablishes it. And I think in the first meaningful way, since like. Dark Empire mm-hmm. comic book series, like, really establish what Mon Cala is. And one of the things that changes, like, they both live underwater. It used to be the Mon Calas were, like, these amphibious species living in these floating cities, and the Quorins were, like, in the deeps, in the depths of the ocean, and now it's like, no, no, no. These are basically the same people, and they fight because... I don't know. Um, well, just, in they, this
1: case, they're fighting because the separatists are purposely well, trying to drive a wedge in between them, right?
0: Right. So you have these people that already have this like rivalry. Kind of yeah. reminds me of like, say, the the Gungans and the Naboo, right? Like where they're like. They're they're peaceful with each other, but yeah. there's a friction that's like yeah. ancestral and long-rooted. And the separatists, yeah, come in and they send what, Rift Tansen, Riff Tamson, yeah. Rift Tamson, who's <laughs> a sh- straight up shark dude. Yes. We you need more really, shark
1: dudes in Star Wars. You'll
0: listen to the episode. We talk about that shark dude. Yeah, we do. Um and he's basically stirring the pot. And you can kind of see that the Bunkala are not like, well, they're they're getting up for war. Alright, well should we negotiate with them? No, we're gonna fight them back. Like, oh no, that's not the like <laughs> like you can tell that neither side's particularly like resisting the call of war here. Yeah.
1: They uh They will jump at the opportunity to protect what they think is the correct way of life. You know, right. they think they need to be in charge, or the Quarns think they need to be in charge, you know, not realizing they're getting played. And of course, you have this Mon Cala prince in Lee Char who is, you know, trying to motivate his people, trying to unite mm-hmm. both the Quarrens and the Mon Calas. So it's not like everyone in a position of power is trying to drive a wedge between these species, mm-hmm. but the galaxy's at war. It's a tough time. And you have these dark influences over the Quarren side. But luckily by the end of the conflict, they do, in certain ways, come together.
0: Yeah, and, and what we eventually see is that, okay, at least at the end of Waterworld, they, they make enough of a piece to keep moving forward. And we kind of establish that these are two of a kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and pretty much ever since then, in Star Wars, we've seen them often in the same kind of veins, as far as yes. these are people who have went out and become colonists at a lot of different worlds and they're yes. spread fairly across the galaxy. I would argue at least maybe it's because star Wars focuses on the, the dingier side of the galaxy more often, but like Corrin seem to be actually even a little more populous than Mon Yeah. Out we there. do
1: see them more often. It feels like, I mean the Mandalorian now has even used them twice as sort of a, a an aggressor, you know, an aggressive species, a species that is, um, uh, well, kind of like wookies have a reputation for being sure, short-tempered. Sure, sure, sure. Uh you know what's interesting though is we never see a lot of we we don't really ever see wookies out and about. Now, I mean during the age of the empire, that's obvious why.
0: Yeah, they're they're they're, they're busy with their of servitude to the empire.
1: Yeah. But it's kind of interesting in the sequel trilogy we never really see more wookies. Mm. Looks like yeah. the high republic's going to fix that. High republic's going to give us some uh a wookiee Jedi.
0: That's true. Well, I think I think it just comes down to I think it's one of those things of I think Wookiees come from Shu'uk, and that's it. Like on Kashyyyk, they, they, they I'm sure mm-hmm. what's their language? What am I talking about? Kashyyyk. So Kashyyyk is where they're from, and I think right. that's it. Whereas like Mon Cal's corns, they're colonists. They've gone to different worlds and started independent. Like what what I mean is like if you find yeah. the average Korian, like oh, are you from Mon Cal? Not all Koreans are from Mon Cali, right. you prejudiced di- Right, <laughs> um, right, 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 right. And I think it's one of those things of the most populous species we're going to see are the ones who have very fruitfully left their home world mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. have lots of populations across the galaxies. And I yeah. think I think every Wookiee is probably from Kashyyyk. There probably aren't a whole lot of Wookiee colonies or, or yeah. stuff like that. And that's why I think Wookiees are at least out and about, a rarer species, even though, yeah, there's a whole planet of them. Sure. Well, hopefully, as we
1: see more into the post-Return of the Jedi Star Wars, and we know that Han and Chewie helped liberate Kashyyyk uh, in the Aftermath series, so hopefully we'll see more Wookiees out and about eventually, because I know I would like that. Now, getting back to Quarren's here, yep. we know that we see them in pretty much two other uh significant places we're going to talk about so before okay. we get to the new uh stuff that we see in this week's episode of the mandalorian oh. which is why we're here talking about them yep let's talk about one of the few uh sort of good guy quarrens we see okay so that is hennex one of luke's apprentices one of his yes. padawans uh from his jedi temple so this is a character who is about um 20 years in the future from where we're talking about here in Mandalorian. Right. But a character That's who we do, do get yeah. to see, um, you know, for a few issues of the Rise of Kylo Ren comics. So, Hennix is a Quarren. He is one of the Padawans being trained by Luke at his Jedi Temple. And, uh, unfortunately, he is one of the first—he uh, is actually, I think, the first Padawan killed by Ben. Yes. So, what happens is— uh, Henix thinks that Ben has killed another one of the students. He throws his lightsaber at him to stop him. Ben sort of instinctively blocks the saber, sending it spinning back at the Quarrant Hennex, and it uh it uh well uh unites him with the force.
0: That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and you can see again the sort of a- aggressive, te- assertive tendencies. He's not really yeah. aggressive. It's more yeah. of assertive. Yeah. Like.
1: They they describe him in that book, if, if I remember correctly, I should have come back and reread it. They describe him as like a puzzle solver and someone who's like trying to mentally unlock the secrets of the force, mm-hmm. like trying to like, like it's a problem that needs solved, I think is how they described it. A proactive person. Yeah. Uh, so a really interesting character and it's nice that we get to see a Quarren in this sort of spiritual force way compared to the, um, well, fisherman dock worker way that we see them in pretty much every other context, right? Mm-hmm. So now let's finally bring it but back to... Oh, go ahead. I have a few. I'm just going to mention
0: because I had a list of a couple of ones. That oh, I'm you here.
1: pulled out a couple of important I'm ones. Just gonna, got
0: I'm just going to put out the the essentially ones that have been named. <laughs> oh, sure. Hit me. Uh, which is we've got uh, Christo and Tykes and Tundra Daumia who were the three senators that we see in the prequels. Oh, sure. Support... Okay. Corrin seems supportive of the Supreme Chancellor's office growing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we also see, we mentioned him already, but Tessic, who is the bookkeeper for Jabba, he's the first one we see on screen.
1: Oh, he's the bookkeeper? That Corin we see is the bookkeeper uh, in Return of the Jedi?
0: Yeah, apparently that's established in one of the uh, data bank entries, I guess.
1: Oh, okay. So he's like the accountant. So he's what not necessarily can, like a bad say, guy. He's
0: sophisticated. Well, okay. I, I don't know. I think the accountant for the mob is a lesser bad guy, but I still think he's in trouble and still going to jail. But <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, and the last one that was just one that really popped in my head that I really want to point out, it's a little tiny thing, but it makes me happy for two reasons, which is, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Lauwalo. Okay. Who is uh, from the episode lightsaber lost. He's the one running the noodle shop. Cause a, I love the fact of a corn running a noodle shop (laughs) and that there are noodle shops in the underground of Coruscant that like, just like blade runner, we got ramen shops that makes me happy, but he's also interesting because he is cybernetically altered. He's got this kind of rolling eye in his Mm -hmm. head. Um, and that makes it that, oh, yeah, again, establishing to me that this is a species that's been out in the galaxy for a long time. Yeah. Um, but I just, he's got a little bit role, but I like it because he's just this kind of not necessarily. He, he runs a noodle shop and he has a cybernetic guy in the crappy part of Coruscant. K- it makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to
1: see these species sprinkled in in their own kind of unique ways. Yeah. Yeah,
0: for sure. So. We are broaching this topic because of the Mandalorian because we've seen, I'm going to say, more Corians in a single frame of a, a video than we've ever seen before. Oh, and that 100%. Includes, that includes Waterworld, I think. <laughs> Shh.
1: There are a lot there. Definitely the most live action corns we've ever by seen, sh- by far. So we're talking, of course, about Chapter Eleven, the Heiress. So if you have not watched this, uh, you might want to. You, you know, should have come already back. stopped listening. Yeah, for sure. Um, we did warn you, but we're gonna warn you one more time here. So in Chapter Eleven of The Mandalorian, we see that Dinjarin and the child have made their way, uh, thanks to the help of Frog Lady, to a little spot on the water. A nice little diner where they are treated as some squid soup or uh, chowder as he calls it mm-hmm. and uh, they get the help of their Mon Cala waiter who introduces them to someone he believes he can help after taking their, uh, their uh, money and basically they end up out on a boat traveling across the waves trying to find more Mandalorians mm-hmm. and our Quarren who is transporting us tricks them saying Hey, you want to see this big fish eat? Come it's here. It's really
0: cool. you bring the kid bring over. The, make it's, sure
1: the kid can see.
0: Everyone needs
1: to get this experience. Yeah, yeah. So uh they line up around this hold in the middle of the ship, they drop in some fish, and then all of a sudden, our new Quarren friend is knocking the child, Pram it all into the water, and right as this giant worm-like creature comes out and swallows the pram hole, yep. luckily we see the lid close, we see our Mandalorian hero jump into the water right after him, and they seal him in, attempting to drown him so they can steal his Beskar.
0: Yeah, and it's it's an interesting scene uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I'll admit, like, they played it well enough. I'm like, okay this better be quite the show. You keep talking about it a little too much there, buddy, but I wasn't expecting him to just take that, um, skiff hook and just whack it. Yeah. Like, like that was shocking. Um, and the other thing I thought was interesting, which is reaffirmed later is, uh, all the subtitles were like "Corin brother, one "Corin brother, two "Corin brother, like, Apparently, half the Quarrens on here come from the same spawning grounds, so they're they're all friends. <laughs> oh, that's
1: funny. Well, we will meet more brothers here uh, in a minute. But luckily, even though our hero, Dinjarin is is uh, trapped momentarily, he is saved by some fellow Mandalorians who just... Boy, they execute those Quarrens. Uh, well, they just come down and... Whew, those Quarrens don't stay a These are just your chance. normal
0: Mandos. These are essentially Mando's super commandos. I mean, these are people yeah. who have been through... War hardened. Oh, we'll for say. sure. Yeah. i I'm I'm you know what, even though we're not spoiler, I'm not gonna talk about who they are because that's the treat of this episode. Yeah. But the whole thing about it is we see them eliminate these quarrens, saved in, and then basically they blow up that boat and they all yeah. just jetpack away. Yeah. And later on we see um our hero has essentially kind of denied working with them yeah, and is kind of forced to work with them again. when he gets surrounded by a bunch of quarians are like, Hey, that boat had my brother and my brother and my brother. And like, just like eight of them just come out of like the, the alleyways and (laughs) surround him. Yeah.
1: And it was a little, I was a little surprised that we never got to see our Mando. Mm Mm-hmm. Do some damage to these quarants, you know. He doesn't really do because he's trapped on the boat, and then here, you know, I assume he's either about to fight back or maybe jetpack out of there to try and keep the child safe. But all of a sudden, another Mando drops down saying, Wasn't him who killed your brother, it, it was, was me, me. <laughs> and then she, they don't even wait, they just start
0: firing, they just it's take him out, treat. um, and just eliminate them. Now, here on the planet Trask like we kind of see that this is a fairly um you know uh wet world i yeah. I, I believe I called it space New England because <laughs> uh, it looks like long it like looks like a fisherman town yeah uh even though it's a little more seedy than that yeah um but one of the interesting things is we see a a, a colony that's basically a moncala colony because it's mon calamari and Quorin make up like of the population. Yeah, The only other people we really see are a few humans and we see our frog people and our frog people. So it's kind of interesting that this is that way. And and even you can see again, that that fishing culture, because like even once the Moncal fixes the razor's crest, like some parts of it are using rope rigging to hold things together. Yeah. You don't fix a starship with
1: rope. (laughs) Whatever they did, it was strong enough to get it back to hyperspace. It's probably synth rope. (laughs)
0: which is a thing yeah yeah it's a thing anyway um but i think it's interesting that we see corns the other thing we also see is that apparently corns i mean Waterworld sort of established this but the clone wars it's always a little like dubious of like hey corin speak basic and you look at that mouth and go how um (laughs) but then you gotta you gotta take into consideration that like clone wars a lot of species have to speak basic because it's a program for children and they're not going to subtitle that yes. or at least they're not going to subtitle anything that's meaningful dialogue. If an alien yeah. speaks a language, it'll be blah, 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 blah. And yeah. then someone will translate it like droid beeps. Right. Yeah. Um, but it does establish that corns have been out in the galaxy enough that basic seems to be their common tongue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Every corn we've ever seen has spoken basic. Yep. Just like every Mon Cala we've ever seen. Mon Maria, we've ever seen it spoken basic. Yeah. So I, I expect that to continue.
0: I, yeah. No. No. But I mean, again, I. I'm trying to think. No, I guess the senators are the first Moncals we hear speak in in Canada. Mm. Um and they they I think they they. I can't yeah. remember if they have a specific line. I didn't look up the scene, but I'm pretty sure they're one of the ones of like, yes, a trial, or yes, yeah. an investigation, or whatever it is. Yeah. Like,
1: Yeah, they're like waving their hands up. Yeah, like, yeah. exactly.
0: They're, they're just hooting and hollering, and they say something, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I, I just... Hooting and hollering. It, again, I just, I love the idea of like, here's these people who have a squid for a head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now they're like deeply established. They're part of the lore. They're part of the panorama of common species around the galaxy and yeah they just they just are don't uh don't think about it that, that that one you know how many weird designs out of the cantina slash out of the Jabba's palace are just now the rank and file like members of the galaxy because we see corns they're like uh they're one of the races you see as part of the ranks of the new republic and the rebels as part of like the video games and stuff like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. um it's it's just – they're just out there,
1: man, doing their thing. They are. They're, they're everywhere, and they are only going to be more of them. Soon they'll be just as populous as Twilix. They'll
0: just have cable-knit sweaters. They'll <laughs> have, like, light, nice long, long rain slickers running around, being on wet planets.
1: <laughs> it's pretty great. Water sports galore.
0: Yup. Do you think they do water skiing? I think they'd be really good at it. I mean – think of it they have little suction cups on their hands, yeah. so think about how good they are at gripping stuff. that's true. That's so you true. know you could just like have one finger on uh, holding the 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 pool for the mm-hmm. skis and just be doing tricks.
1: Do you think if you're like a young Quorn growing up on Moncala that like you have to worry about getting eaten like do you have to worry about like big fish like just eating you?
0: I don't know. I I'm going to guess so. Cause I think what they're implying with the whole, he's my brother. He's my brother. He's my brother. He's my brother. Is I feel that. Quarren's probably come from spawned eggs mm-hmm. and that they, they don't have human style families that they have far bigger, like clans mm-hmm. and groups like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm going to guess that as is with most of the species, and hey, we saw it with the frog people, uh, Most of the eggs do not make it. Mm. That's just a thing. Mm -hmm, And even mm -hmm. the ones that do don't like those are species in our world. You spawn eggs because you're hoping like one out of every X amount is going to be a viable Mm -hmm, child, mm -hmm. which is super not human, which is why there's a huge controversy about the frog eggs. But um, that's how those species work. They're they're going for going for quantity, not quality here. (laughs) That's right. That's right.
1: Uh, Well, hey, who knows? Maybe we'll learn more about the way Quarren birth
0: in future episodes. I can't wait for the pregnancy book where we just go through all the species and talk about the different rituals of how they welcome their life. We'll be life day. We just talk about how life enters the galaxy across the galaxy.
1: I really hope we can have a topic on uh, spawning in Star Wars sometime. We just need a little more info. All right, let's just dig our way out. Of, more.
0: Let's dig our way out of this topic. Let let's get out of here. <laughs> coming in a little bit hot and
1: fast but i think we could still land this one i hope so and if not we'll just plunk right into the harbor
0: oh man what an ant that was so perfectly done he lands it it's a little rough you're like he made then the thing just right into the sea what a great episode so good what a great episode Uh, we
1: hope you all enjoyed the mandalorian this week
0: too you know i was a little disappointed i heard some people complain about like oh it's only 35 minutes I'm like yes but it's a really packed 35 minutes like One of the things I enjoy about The Mandalorian is how much time does it take? As much or as little as it needs to tell its story?
1: Yes. And I have a lot of, I am definitely one of those people who, when I saw episode one, was 50 minutes. I'm like, this is great. This is what I've wanted. Give yep. us a full story in one episode. I don't care if it's a 30-minute episode or a 50-minute episode, but I want a whole story. I don't want to feel like it's an episode chopped into parts. Yeah. And now that we're into our second season, we've seen a little bit about how the pacing is going to go. I am definitely now more in the camp of I don't let that episode timer encourage or discourage me one way or another mm-hmm. until I've seen it. Because an episode like this, for example... I would venture to guess one of the reasons it's so short is because they probably spent so much time and money on the CGI for it. There's a
0: lot in this.
1: Yeah, compared to other episodes, I think. Now, who knows, because it's so hard to tell, because it's all so well done. And with this new technology they have, you know, they're yeah. doing so many incredible things that maybe I'm totally off base here and this isn't the way their budgeting works. But maybe they literally ran out of time and money on an episode like this. I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, I, or again, they budgeted time yeah. to their financial. Fund- Oh, budget. yeah. Sure, sure, um, sure. But I think uh, it, the Ellis episode Howard did a just great job. Oh,
1: yeah, the episode doesn't feel short. It feels complete. And while it is only part of a story, part of a quest, it is still a huge jump for our character in what he's able to do. And what I love about this episode once again, more spoilers is we're really seeing payoff from last week's episode Mm -hmm. because the child character is learning and growing, right? Last week's episode was him trying to eat these eggs, him basically uh, doing whatever he can to feed himself. And now he's here at the end of this episode, Mm -hmm. seeing kind of the miracle of life of these eggs. One of the eggs he didn't eat. He sees it hatch. He's playing with the offspring. He doesn't want to leave it. And, Who knows, because at the end of this episode, he's still eating a different creature, right? We still see a meeting. But I do like that we're kind of, not only did Mando have that relationship with Frog Lady, where he could just comfortably leave the child with her, which wouldn't have happened if they hadn't been on that adventure last week, right? Oh, absolutely. But we have this little mini arc for the child, who last week was eating these eggs. Now he's playing with them and taking care of one and not wanting to eat it.
0: And I think the other thing you also see, you said he's eating the thing at the end, but I think one of the things that's important about that is, yeah, well, because dad caught it for him. Yeah. I mean, like, there's a certain amount of, like, that's approved food. Yeah, for Um, sure. And uh, it's also really important for the Mandalorian because I like that we are starting to... Ever since the rumors of Ahsoka Tano being in this season, we have been starting to peel back the layers of, oh, this is exciting. Yeah. He's about to take his first step into a much larger galaxy because right now he's like, "What do you know about the Jedi? Nothing. They're sorcerers." Shrug. Yeah, and like he's learning that there's other Mandalorians. He's, he's maybe he's heard about the true Mandalorians somewhere along the road, but like he doesn't know them in any firsthand experience. And his first like response is repugnation, but then also just shock at how they act. Yeah, like, um, you know, I. I, I one of my favorite lines in this episode is like, "Like, yeah, we need to go back to Mandalore. That place is cursed. Anyone who goes there dies. And I'm like, wow, it is fun hearing that's how the, de- how the watch sees yeah. Mandalore as a place that should be abandoned. We are a creed. Yeah. We need to be not tied to a homeland yeah. anymore.
1: All right. Since we're talking about it, I just yeah. want to throw this out here. Get it on the record real quick. Uh, we are recording this. It is Saturday, November 14th. I think it's important for posterity's sake. Why does Bo-Katan want to now rule Mandalore, whereas before... Now, this is 25 years ago. Th- well, oh, more oh, than that, actually. I think actually. that's
0: the thing is, I think she did rule it. I think she was the political head of state from that time that we see at the end of the oh, Converse finale. so you think I she see her went there. in
1: that direction already.
0: Like, okay, so... Because that conversation I mean... she has
1: with Ahsoka... Is more of a I don't know if I'm the right person for this job. So the
0: the topic I wanted to do this week was Bo Katan, but I'm like yeah. that you need to give me a week in the research lab because yeah. there's a lot I need yeah. to rewatch. But like from what I pieced together, just kind of reviewing it and remembering it is basically so Bo Katan is a member of Death Watch, right? Then her sister dies, and then she realizes Mandalorians should not be run by Pre Vizsla and his ilk. They are. They're not doing it for the reasons Bo-Katan signed up. Right. She wants to bring Mandalore back to greatness. They want to militarize it. Yes. And just they, they they want to do way worse stuff. Yes. So by the time we get to the end of the Clone Wars, she has matured a lot as a person. She's still a feisty fighter. She's still way too strong-headed and fiery for probably, you know, what her goals are now. But she she is really, really cares about her people mm-hmm. and uplifting them. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end, you know, Ahsoka basically gives her permission of like, well, you could lead them. And we kind of walk away from the scene there. Yeah. And when we see the other side of this, when we see Mandalore again, you know, 17 years later or whatever, when we're at, well, 18 years. Right? It's negative one BBY, negative two BBYs, Rebels. It's
1: Yeah, it starts out, I think, five years before, but then works its way up, yeah. Um
0: Well, we see Sabine and how Sabine is from the House of Wren yeah. and how it's one of the more prominent houses in Mandalorian politics. And we sort of get a vibe that by this time, the Imperials have been already really encroaching on Mandalorian. Mm. The, enti- the entire House of Saxon has been flipped to their cause. Yeah. Um, which we kind of see why Saxon House would be angry and frustrated and why they end up being bad guys, because we now see one of their patriarchs in Clone Wars kind of get disgraced. Um, he picked the wrong team. Yeah. So he's picking the wrong team again. And we see the Imperial Super Commandos, and we see that the House of Wrens are being dismantled, and we see that Sabine has found the Darksaber and brings it back to her people. Yeah. Um, And they mentioned the fact that Darksaber is a symbol of Mandalore, the concept of the person who leads their people, the Mandalore, Mm -hmm. because it's a, it's, you know, the Jedi, the first Mandalorian Jedi had this and it's been just a badge, an artifact of power and importance to the Mandalorian people for however long it's existed. And so what I get the idea is that Bo-Katan rules over Mandalore for some period of time. She, or, or at least she's, She's, you know, maybe they never get a functional state up and running again. But, like, she's an important political leader for the Mandalorian people. And by the time we meet them in Rebels, the Houses have become the power base of the planet. Mm -hmm. They're sort of stratified into these clans Mm -hmm. that are nipping at each other. And there may not be... There's no
1: one ruler. There's no one uniting.
0: Right. And so the hope is the Darksaber can maybe do that for us. And then we know, as fans of the Mandalorian... Somewhere between there yeah. and after, you know, somewhere in there, the Empire finally decides that the Mandalorians are more trouble than they're worth and purges them, yeah. just goes and does terrible things to that world, uses things called mind flares. <laughs> huh. I don't even know what those are, but they're bad. I know they're bad. Like, yeah. you know, terrible things happen to the people of Mandalorian. And that is why we get the assumption that they are all scattered to the wind, yeah. that there's none of them left. And the yeah. ones that are surviving are surviving this coverted life where they don't, you know, never take off their masks. They live in these small communes. They right. always hide their numbers, all that kind of stuff. And Bo-Katan showing up on the scene basically says, no, no, no there are true Mandalores running around as well. Totally. Yes, they're wearing the armor again because only the strong survived whatever that purge was.
1: So the big question then. Yeah. We have all of this, right? We now know that in the world of post-Empire. Yes. Right? The New Republic is established. We know that Mandalore is still a planet that is not under control of a single Mandalorian. Right. Right. We don't necessarily know the state of it, but we assume it's decrepit and run down and- you know, that it's it's flawless.
0: There's, it's There's even an edge in bo, bo- like conversation that it's still not under Mandalorian control, yeah. whether that's maybe the remnants of the Empire are still holding court there. And that you know? could
1: very well be, but she's very aggressive about she is going to be the person she's gonna to it. take it back. Is this show setting up that at the end, Din Djarin is going to be leading Mandalore?
0: Okay, if we're going into speculation territory, yeah. right? My whole goal, what I see here is... yeah. If this season, which it already starting to go that way, follows season one, I meet a whole bunch of people and then I get them together for one last job, right? For sure. I feel that like the heist of the Darksaber is how this season's going to end. Yeah. And my guess is Bo-Katan will take the, the Darksaber and try to go home to Mandalore yeah. and then in a later season, Jin will have to go and deal with the other half of his identity, the other yeah. half of his people.
1: Yeah, because I think we'll eventually get to the point now, whether it's this season or not, where he learns to live as a Mandalorian in a different way than he has before, because that was the whole point of the first season was he learned to live in a way that he didn't understand or think he could as the kind of purveyor of this foundling.
0: And Pascal's um, agent will be really happy because of an excuse to take the helmet off from time to time. (laughs) <laughs> get some of that FaceTime.
1: I really don't think it matters, but yeah, I well, hear what you're saying. But here's the thing. Yeah.
0: We're establishing there's still true Mandalorians yeah. running around, which means that, yes, there's the culture that Bo-Katan and Sabine come from where, oh yeah, helmet off all the time. Like, <laughs> like we we established that the, the watch is religious. They have essentially regressed back to almost... For like a better term, medieval views of Mandalorian peoples and cultures. And they've almost deified and mystified so much of their stuff. Um, And I'm excited to see if like Death Watch, maybe Death Watch in the Clone Wars isn't the origin of the Watch, Mm -hmm. right? Like the Watch is maybe the people that were scattered out across the galaxy to protect Mandalorian interests. They're like the Journeyman Mandalorians. And Uh, then we would see that Death Watch is, a group of those people becoming zealots and that the Mm -hmm. watch has been around for however many generations. Cause Mm -hmm. there's a part of me with the armorer who I'm like, so you couldn't have witnessed the clone wars. Otherwise you wouldn't be calling Jedi. They were sorcerers. The great Mandalore fought once. I'm like, that can only come from having no firsthand knowledge of seeing Jedi, which our hero might have more of that since he's saved from a separatist uh, attack by death watch members. Um, it, it's very curious exactly how they're going to establish those cultures. And I also like the fact that they're going to trickle that out over a really long period of time. And I'm yeah. excited about it. The
1: fact that we're only really getting, so we got a little bit of the culture in the first couple episodes of season one. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting a little bit here, episode three, season two. This could be something that is his long arc of getting over the removing of the helmet and those sort of things he's been indoctrinated
0: with. Well, I think it'll be him harmonizing all of that stuff into what will be the way, Mm -hmm. right? And the last part about it that I want to say that now you're just making me real. Think about, like, that (laughs) is if this show is called The Mandalorian, and that is because at the end he is the Mandalorian, he becomes Mandalore, the leader of the Mandalorian people. Yeah, yeah. I would be so happy. (laughs) I mean, you think about
1: it, right? When a story starts, you're following a character who will one day do great things, but has not yet done them. That's like a traditional story, right? Well, this character was already an established bounty hunter. We don't need to see him learn to become a bounty hunter. We do need to learn to see him learn empathy. We do need to see him learn compassion for others and um, be a parent and do all of these things that a leader needs to learn how to do. I'm just no, it's saying, just, yeah, it's. it's just I end. never
0: would have thought of it before no, yesterday. No, 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 and I see it but now. But yeah, it's, and he becomes Mandalorian the father, like Mandalor the father, because they all have a title.
1: And how do you keep the child with him? How does the child not end up with Ahsoka or Luke eventually? Well, he's the ruler of a planet, and this person is his. And,
0: well, and and this long-lived creature yeah. is the legacy of his, like, yeah. his effect on the world. Just saying, it's possible. Uh, I'll, and and then, uh, oh man, it's the best thing going on in Star Wars. Mostly because it's all the ingredients of Star Wars uh-huh. that make Mac happy. Uh,
1: Only six more days till
0: Chapter Twelve, where we will start the journey to find Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Which I'll be. Sh- I'm gonna guess she shows up at the very end of that episode because I'm assuming we're gonna have a we're gonna have a journey to get there. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I agree. I don't think it'll be easy. He's like, just go there. Say, Bo-Katan sent you. Hi, yeah. I'm a Tana.
1: Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, I get the feeling we're still gonna have we're gonna have another like an episode like last week, like chapter two. Yeah, I get the feeling. That's,
0: that's what I feel. A, yeah, we're yeah. gonna make that journey because the Razor Crest hasn't been abused mm-hmm. enough this season yet. Mm-hmm. And I also think
1: I remember reading that. Dave Filoni directs episode five. So oh. if that's the case, I would also consider that to be.
0: He'd want to see. Yeah, that but again. I guess
1: we'll see. I don't know who I don't know. Cause we had, let's see, we had Favreau, mm-hmm. right? Then we had, um, Peyton Reed. Yep. And then this week we had Bryce Dallas Howard. Yep. So we know Dave Filoni directs an episode, right? Yep. We know that Carl Weathers directs an episode, I think. Yes. Right. Who else? Th- I don't remember who else that leaves. I, I wish I remember where I read this. Anyway, doesn't matter now because we'll know by next week who the director for next week is.
0: And next week's gonna be great because we'll be talking more Mandalorian and some other topics. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this format. But by, by the way, please reach out for us if this this had any issues or problems. Uh, I think it all worked out, and I think this is what we're <laughs> gonna try to do when we have skip weeks is kind of pre record topics and then yeah. give you an intro that's more timely. Um, we'll see how that goes, yeah. but it uh, it it should be fun. And. and and uh, until next Wednesday, I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.